always like the top girl. Even if you have a hundred thousand followers or a million followers, you're not always everyone's favorite at the same time. Vanessa Holt, the head of business development and communication at SoCol, the Web3 social platform that enables creators, brands, and communities to collaborate and grow together with the power of Web3 and NFTs. A huge part of my time at SoCol is helping creators get educated about Web3. How much do you think your vision of life has been distorted by social media? Starting Instagram was not by choice at all. That first move into entertainment and media. And Instagram, for example, is essentially two things, envy and lust. You're just never good enough. No matter how hard you try, somebody else out there is posting something that you're envious about. What are the downsides of having a substantial online following? Wow, that's a really good question. I think... The conversion rate for nano and micro influencers are really high, even much bigger than, say, celebrities. An investor friend tells me he invests in consumers, apps, and social media projects if they tick one of the boxes of the seven sins. It affects the way I think and my beliefs and my value system um, just because of all these influencers from online. Our guest today is Vanessa. You're the head of Business Development and Communication at SoCal, a Web3 social platform that enables creators, brands, and communities to collaborate and grow together with the power of Web3 and NFTs. You're also a content creator and host with a substantial online following. In this episode, we'll talk about building a personal brand in the Web2 world, how Web3 changes the game for content creators, and mental health for content creators. Vanessa, welcome. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Vanessa and I'm based in Singapore and I'm so excited to talk today. Awesome. We're very excited too. So why don't we start with some context about your background? What are the key turning points in your life that define who you are today? Well, I think one of the most um, important and crucial turning point goes all the way back when I was 15. That was a secondary four here in school. And I joined a modeling competition that I saw an advertisement on in the newspaper. And back then, I knew nothing about fashion. I wore glasses, even made a fashion faux pas during the audition itself, which was embarrassing. Um, but I think that first move into entertainment and media gave me the courage to take both moves afterwards and just give everything a shot and not overthink the process. And I think this ballsy nature really um, was harnessed from the experience onwards. Um, and moving forward, when I moved on to join Web3, by dropping uh, an offer letter from a management consulting firm, I think it was the same ethos of just, you know, going and doing and just taking the courage to take, you know, the alternative paths. I think the second turning point that was really important was when I started a fashion startup in the first year of university. It failed, but the intention was to do um, circular economy for a sustainable fashion, like renting um, winter wear or your daily clothes. Uh, to reduce fashion wastage. Um, that startup eventually failed during COVID and I never continued to revive it afterwards. But that helped me enter the startup and the entrepreneurship space, which makes joining a small startup um, like SoCo right now um, less daunting. And eventually I moved on to help other founders raise funds through my angel network that I run. Awesome. So how did you start this influencer journey? Well, it was entirely unintentional. Honestly, I can even say I hated social media back in school and I was the last few um, among my peers to create Instagram. 
um, back when everybody was posting selfies already. I didn't like that at all. But I had to during the modern competition that I told you about before to garner some votes um, before the finals. So starting Instagram was not my choice at all. Um, and then I just continued to post my student life um, as well as my media career. I documented all the commercials and hosting gigs and DJ gigs that I um, did. And people kind of liked it. And I just treated um, my Instagram page as a vlog for my experiences. So you're, you're DJ too. Can you tell us a bit, a bit more about that? Oh, yeah. So funny enough, I think in 2017, if I'm not wrong, I joined a radio DJ competition to think about uh, going into media full time and um, joining as like a radio DJ. That didn't work out too well. I made it to top 10, failed. Then eventually I got an offer from a DJ agency, like a club DJ, music DJ, spinning records and, and music. Um, I signed on with that agency. They coached me. Uh, my music background if, with instruments helped a lot. And um, now I DJ for fun, I guess. I think at one point in time, I was doing it like three times or two times a week, which was pretty serious. Uh, but now I don't have the energy to um, wake up at 8 a.m. and do club gigs anymore. So I still spin for corporates um, and festivals once in a while. And I really love it, like a hobby. Awesome. Awesome. A very similar journey, actually. Um, <laughs> so, so, so you're posting, you say you, you don't really like this social media stuff, but you have to do it for some reason that you talked about and you start to post regularly stuff about yourself is there a moment where there is a tipping point for example for people especially on youtube uh covid was a big tipping point how did it work out for you is it just like consistency that helped you build like a substantial following or it's there is a moment where things like accelerate i like how you mentioned tipping point um like the book that that i really like as well i think for me um it was Perhaps in 2018, when I continue on my modeling fashion career by participating in more pageants and competitions and doing more, more and more commercials, I think it was more like social media following came as a consequence of me just documenting my career in media, which I don't do as actively anymore. But back then, um, I was pretty active in um, hosting and modeling for quite a lot of gigs. And I think people wanted to, to see more of my work as well. Um, I, I think there wasn't really a significant moment where I was like scouted uh, or I was cast in a big show. But I think the moment I realized that I should start taking this a bit seriously and, you know, use this as an opportunity to further my influence and voice was when I realized people wanted to pay for me to share about something. And I was thinking like, why would you do that? Like, I am like a kid um, who is just posting random photos, probably low resolution at this point in time. Um, about my life. But um, I think when the advertisers started coming in, um, that's when I really started taking my platform more seriously. When you say platform, what do you mean? Um, it started predominantly on Instagram. Yeah. And then right now, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well for more like business articles and um, posts that I like to share. And Twitter, of course, to keep up with Web3 News. And um, right now, I'm trying to grow Xiaohongshu, which is the Chinese social media app. It's quite new. It's so challenging. I have to translate all my captions into Chinese, which is like the hardest thing to do. Um, and TikTok as well for the younger audience. Yeah, so I want to ask basically, how do you manage all these social media platforms? Because just, just one or two is already a lot of work. It's so, true. So how, how do you make your choices and how do you manage? Or you just say, listen, I'm just going to go with these two or three that which work the best now and then I'll see. Or do you have like a specific strategy on what you should 
um, create your content on based on, as you said, for example, Web3 or, 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 or what you target in the future? I think I started with spending a lot of time on Instagram first. It was just very intuitive because that's where I started my social media journey as well. I didn't really understand TikTok. I don't think I still understand it now. So I do it for fun. Sometimes I even outsource <laughs> my video editing because you have to scale your time, right? Um, I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn um, ever since about two years ago because I realized that personal branding in the business space uh, really takes a long time to build. Mm -hmm. And I know that for me, I'm not going to be a full-time content creator. I don't think it will satisfy this really full high energy part of me that is always finding something to do. So I knew that I was going to go into business and I started spending a lot of time on LinkedIn um, ever since I started the um, angel investment network called um, NUS Alumni Ventures. Um, Twitter only came about ever since I um, started full-time at SoCo mm -hmm. so that I can really stay in touch with my Web3 friends, meet new people and also show myself um, as a woman in Web3. So you're growing, let's say, Instagram, pretty focused there, pretty focused on LinkedIn. What do you do when you are big on a platform that consumes already all your time, but then you have a new platform such as TikTok or this Chinese application that I don't know the name of because I'm probably too, too old or too stupid to know. No, you're um, not too old. <laughs> how... How do you approach that, basically, you know? And, and how, how do you stay relevant? I prioritize based on the ROI I'll get out of the platform. I think I am someone who's pretty results-oriented. I don't just do things for fun. Like, time is really, like, the most scarce resource that you have. So I think, okay, what's the output that I get out of this? For Instagram, the obvious thing is it's my main platform. It's my bread and butter um, at some point in time before um, I graduated. So I really have to keep up my Instagram and spend majority of my time on it because that was the reason why I could be financially independent um, when I was still in school. Um, it paid off my school fees and everything else along with it as well. Um, so, and then LinkedIn was really with the objective of uh, meeting and networking with more business audience um, that I believe would give me some output in the future, whatever job I do, right? Whether it was consulting, Web3, banking, finance, it doesn't matter. I believe that there's value in the crowd over there. Um, so that was like the second platform that I prioritized out of time. And the last bit of time I spent is on Twitter. I don't really enjoy keeping out all the shit posts and stuff. It's fun. It's like, you know, more lighthearted, more <laughs> casual than Instagram, which is very polished. Um, but I, I enjoy like, you know, seeing what my friends are up to and um, all these new news and, you know, sometimes getting some alpha from Twitter as well. So I feel like, okay, at least I'm ahead of the curve um, if I'm still staying relevant on Twitter. <laughs> so that's how I prioritize. Do you not feel like you're wasting a lot of time, especially on Twitter, I mean, on all these platforms, basically? Uh, because, for example, Twitter is, I mean, it's the same. Like, you spend a lot of time on there, you're like, oh, maybe the, the, the alpha, or you will get the information about, I don't know, Celsius bank run or FTX bank run or banks bank run before anyone, but there is so much shit. And then, so you have to create content, which takes a lot of time, publish everything, then you have a normal job, and then you have to go through this sea of shit posts and online shit. Like, how do you approach that to make sure that you don't waste too much time, which we all do? Yeah, I actually, um, contrary to what most people think, I don't spend that many hours reading a content. I read enough to know what is trending or to know what people are talking about. 
just so that it's conversation starters as well when I meet people at events. Um, but I really don't spend too much time. I rather spend the time creating content, writing articles, taking photos, editing my videos, uh, or just meeting new people or recording a podcast with you to, um, like today. Um, so I, I don't spend too much time on that because I know that um, more than a certain amount is just like binging. It's like binge watching Netflix, which I mm. don't ever do. Mm. I think it also came out from the habit where when I grew up, I watch absolutely zero TV shows. Mm. And I think that's how I have so much time to do all my modeling gigs after work, events, DJing, learn all these like uh, random skill sets uh, because I spent no time watching shows. If you ask me about um, Game of Thrones or any popular TV show, um, I would have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very funny because I'm the exact same. And I spent my life first, like I, I DJed for five years and I was just nerding on my DJ deck all, all time, like all the time. People were like, oh, did you watch this thing? I was like, no, I'm just DJing like all the time. And, and then the next thing was crypto. I've been nerding on this crypto thing like for five years. And I'm like, I don't have time to watch these shows. And, and I'm the, the stupid one at the table who don't, never understand anything about the, the shows. Um, so do you see other influencers as... Um, Competition. Wow, that's a really good question. I think if you ask me, like maybe about two years ago, I would think maybe yes, um, because it's advertisers' dollars that we're trying to get right. Mm. There's X amount of budget. You want to be the most relevant person, uh, and you fit the brand image. Um, and people who are very similar to you, say I post a lot of fitness content, other fitness KOLs are kind of like competing for the same share of money. But now I don't care. Um, I believe everybody has their own style. People are looking for different image. Every right. advertiser is looking for a different person, a different spokesperson for their product. Um, and even now, so it's not just that I don't care, but a huge part of my time at SoCo is helping creators get educated about Web3 and helping them grow their Twitter, get into Web3, launch their NFTs. I spend a lot of time helping a lot of other influencers think about their own social media, their own business, and even maybe writing social media blueprints and social media copies for them. So I think it's funny how tables have turned and I treated like the competition um, now as partners that I can work with so that everybody can grow together. I think it's Naval who says you don't have competition if you're authentic and if you're yourself. So basically everybody can build their own niche online and uh, build their own following and, uh, and do great things from there. What are the downsides of having substantial substantial online following well i can't say there are many downsides because i am pretty extroverted i like to meet new people talk to new people online as well but sometimes um i do get a bit shy in public when i'm spending an intimate time with my friends or my partner and i want to have like my, my own space and privacy so i don't really enjoy a bit of intrusion at moments like that but I can't really complain about it. It comes as a package, right? Um, and I think it'll be very entitled of me to say I want the good parts of it without um, losing a bit of privacy. You talked about uh, <clears throat> kind of financial freedom in um, when you were at university, thanks to these online gigs and gigs with brands. How, how hard is this monetization, monetization part? Well, so what's the real game there? Because I have a bunch of friends who have... A, a lot of followers, like millions of followers, and they tell me it's really tough because you have these deals where they would take you for a couple of months through promo codes or things like that. So they will pay you. But then at some point, like they look at 
they, they look at pure like sales and then they will like change and change and change. And it's, it's a very difficult, it's a, there's a lot of ups and downs and it's kind of like a freelance gig or game or like if you're a consultant, you know, you have gigs sometimes, sometimes not. And at the end of the day, it's, it's never really safe so you can make good money, but you, you have, so, so what's your experience with that? Well, monetization as an influencer is more positive than negative. The good thing is in Singapore, I think KOLs are paid pretty decently. I think a lot of attention is spent on social media compared to, say, traditional free-to-air television. And that's why all the money um, goes downstream and trickles through influencers. But I would say I agree with you on the downside, right? Um, Some of the things include um, like COVID, right? A lot of mm. companies cut costs and the first to get cut is always marketing budget. And it trickles downstream where we get less campaigns as well. And if advertisers were to spend, they would spend on elsewhere. That's cheaper. For example, Facebook ads, Google ads, um, that, that has bigger numbers as well, potentially. Um, the other downside is that I think the unstable income is also attributed that I'm not always the eight girl of the season, right? It's very variable. I think um, at peak, that was my peak was probably maybe a few years ago. Sometimes I come back and become a bit more popular. Um, I think in every few months, there'll be like this set of like popular girls that people always pick. And when the engagement is there, that's where advertisers put money in as well. So you're not always like the top girl. Even if you have 100,000 followers or a million followers, you're not always everyone's favorite at the same time. What's the level of influence you think you need to have to have some real leverage over brands? Because I feel like there is, I mean, there's micro-influencers and you have like influencers and then you have, then you have like the few really big, big ones and that brands most of the time do have the leverage because they have the money. So what's the kind of size that you think you need to reach to really build the leverage? Or is it even possible to have leverage with brands or you need to build your own brand and not care anymore about all these external brands to actually have full leverage and control over, over how much you can make and how enjoyable the process is? That's a really good question. Um, I would like to debate some points that you mentioned about size. I don't think size is the biggest factor, mm. um, even though it's one of the first few things that people look out for. So on the side of Soko, I also advise and help come up with strategies for um, this media tech company called Party Post, which is like a micro nano influencer app for uh, campaigns. Um, and what we see is that the conversion rate for nano and micro influencers are really high, even much bigger than say celebrities or macro KOLs. But I think what is very defensible that brands will want you for as a KOL um, is your credibility. Um, so recently, I think most of the advertisers have been finding KOLs who have a professional career or own businesses and I think these profiles are really hard to find. Um, or say a mom with certain issues or uh, um, an influencer with very specific skin conditions or health issues where if you promote something, I think this credibility is something that money can buy. If you are just posting a very vanilla fitness fashion content that anybody else can do without sharing a personal story that makes people trust you, um, I think you're just going to be like everybody else. But if you can build this credibility and trust among your audience, in something that you're actually doing in the real life, I think that is when brands find that you're indispensable. Mm. If you look at uh, the evolution of social media landscape and how easy it was to build a following and maybe it became a bit more difficult because algorithm change, you know, when, when there's a new platform, obviously they're going to 
they're going to favor the influencers because that's what's going to make the platform grow. But then at some point, they want to make money. So you can see it, for example, on Instagram now, very difficult to build the following without paying for boosts and all that stuff. So how hard is the social media game, the Web2 social media game today for creators? And then we'll move on to Web3 to understand what's the difference, you know? I think it is really challenging because every platform has its own algorithm and things that work. And this algorithm changes so fast as well. I think um, previously, if you post it, um, a lot of skin, maybe long captions, your content might work right now. Maybe it gets blocked and filtered out or the algorithm changes or you need to use trendy audio. Um, it's really quite complex to understand and that's why people always look for marketeers and agencies to help them in their social media journey. Mm. Um, I, th I think what I'm excited about is to try new platforms sometimes. When it gets a bit too overwhelming in one platform, I want to see how other platforms does. I think the next thing I want to try is this um, exciting new platform called Soundit, which is a really big uh, new social media platform um, in France right now. Um, as well as Be Real, where, where the algorithm is, I think, more predictable at the start, right? And maybe if you establish an audience there early, you don't have to risk losing followers or plateauing at the current social media platform. I don't exactly have a strategy of how to navigate this. If not, I would have probably a million or two million followers by now. Uh, but I must say, I think as long as we are actively using the platform that we're in, we talk to people, fellow creators, share ideas, I think we'll always be at the top of the game. Let's talk about Web3. Let's go. So why should content creators and influencers care about Web3? Especially in, in relationship to what they're doing today on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Like how, how why sh because you were working for SoCal and we'll talk about that very shortly. Why is it so important and what's possible with Web3 for influencers and content creators? I think back to the previous question that you asked me, um, one of the problems with Web2 social media, as much as they're great, and that's how I built my career, is really that you're at the mercy of the social media algorithm. That's how you determine how engaged your fans are, how much your content reach people, and um, how well you do. And sometimes you might even get your content or your account accidentally taken down because it has been reported by the wrong person or the algorithm detected something different. And Web3, you own the community. And by owning it, it's a fully decentralized community or profile or account in content that you post. So you have full ownership and control of what, um, what happens to it. And I think that is a good complementary to the Web2 social media. I think with Web3, also the culture is very two-way with the creators and the fans. In Web2 world, you are just feeding content as an influencer and people can just like and DM you. And that's it, right? It's very superficial. But in Web3, I think there's already a culture where people are more, um, where, where people are just more democratic in the sense where everybody gets a certain voice in a DAO, right, for example. And there's more two-way interaction. For example, NFT holders um, get to vote for certain decisions um, and get to kickstart community activities on behalf of the creators themselves. I think that's really exciting because with this two-way interaction, it's more fun more meaningful, and I think it's a better experience altogether. So what I see is that Web3 social media isn't a replacement 
of your existing Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, but it's more of a good complementary tool. How do we transition from one to the other? What do you think will happen? Is it new platforms that will take over? Is it Instagram that's going to do some NFT stuff, which I think they just recently just ditched the idea, you know? So how do you think this transition is going to happen? Well, I think people need to see value in it in the first place, right? I think a lot of, uh, for example, NFTs right now are merely PFPs with barely any value besides speculative um, investment. Um, I think if more projects provide like real value, like in real life utility NFTs or um, say doing education for the masses, I think if there's a lot of value to be seen in Web3 and people can see how it relates back to their business, their existing Web2 business, I think that is where people will start moving to Web3. I think that's the first criteria for, for this to happen. I think the second is, I think a lot of our Web3 offerings right now are way too in inaccessible. Um, the reason why um, I could learn really fast was because of uh, my boss, Irene, who guided me through the way and um, also gave me an environment where I could learn about Web3 and NFTs really fast. But I can imagine this is so much more challenging for many other creators who don't have the environment or the um, support system to, to teach them about, you know, yeah. as simple as creating a wallet or minting an NFTs. It's weird because it's weird and complicated, definitely. Exactly. It's, it's just, you know, online somewhere on what chain, like, you know, people don't understand that, right? So I think they need to have toolkits that can embed this whole blockchain technology underneath something that is very easy and intuitive for people to use. And I think that is where people will truly adopt Web3 technology and make the full use of it. It's like how we don't have to learn HTML or JavaScript to enjoy the perks of web browsers. So what is SoCode? SoCode is a community management platform and we help creators and brands. And by creators, we mean like influencers, musicians, artists, even fitness instructors themselves to engage with their audience more meaningfully through gated communities. And we get this through NFT ownership. Can you give an example of, I'm an influencer or I'm a fitness influencer or whatever. I'm interested by this Web3 word. I come to Soko. What happens? What's okay. the process and what do you guys do and what do you not do? Let me give. And, and, and why is it beneficial for me? I think the best way is for you, Kevin. You have quite a lot of followers from your podcast and online as well. So say you have, um, hypothetically, 100,000 Spotify subscribers and maybe 100,000 Instagram followers as well, uh, or YouTube or whichever channel that you use. Um, these are like your average followers who keep up with your content maybe time to time. But you can't really identify who are your super fans who perhaps even set a notification to listen to your new episodes or even listen to every episode end-to-end, want to meet you in person, get to know your story and learn from you. Um, and you can identify this, you know, super fans or super followers, maybe just the top 10% of them, right? Mm. On a so-called, where you can create a community, which is uh, decentralized and fully owned by you. And you can release NFTs, which are like a signifier for who are they, so your super fans, who are willing to pay to get more benefits from you. Um, and we call them premium collectibles on our platform. So it's more friendly, like, you know, holding a membership pass in the Web2 world. So with the NFTs that they own, they can access benefits that you decide. Um, and you can decide on utilities that make sense for you. For example, 
the NFT holders get extra 10-15 minutes of BTS footage from your, uh, your videos or your podcast episodes. And they're curious to, to learn more about it. Or they get a monthly call or AMA with you to ask you any questions about you instead of your um, guest. Um, you get to decide on all these kind of utility that makes sense and gives value to the community members, but also benefit you in your current work. Okay, so I can come here and I subscribe to the platform and I can, you help me release my NFT collection. Exactly. And you help me frame and understand how this is beneficial for me and for the people who follow me. Exactly. At this point, we work with everybody on really like a one-to-one basis. It's not the most scalable thing, but we believe it's important yeah. to sit down with somebody and think about utility ideas that make sense for them so that they feel the benefit and the value of spending time to engage with their audience. The last thing we want is a lot of rug pull DAOs on our platform as well. So we create, uh, we provide the tech for people to create their DAOs. But at the same time, what we also offer is the expertise and the know-how from the Irene DAO project to tell people what are some of the utilities you can incorporate. Maybe how do you even like budget the operation cost if you want to like price your NFTs? Mm. And how do you promote this on Instagram and Twitter with your very Web2 audience? I think all these kind of little things um, are what creators can benefit from by working with us on Soko. What's the benefit of brands coming to this platform? Is, this, is it different from an influencer or a brand or how do you approach the, the brands? We do both uh, B2B white label projects like we did with Nothing, the new phone brand by Calpay, uh, as well as Ember Lounge, which is, which is the um, official yeah. Formula One as well as the World Cup after party. Uh, so those are white label minting sites that we do for them, um, depending on what they need. And the entire branding of those sites and the tools and the features like NFT rental or combining NFTs to make like a super NFT, uh, it depends on the client's needs. And you don't see like so-called branding pretty much anywhere. Um, and then we have smaller brands, less high-end brands who come onto our platform as well, who may not have the budget to do like an entire white label project or they're doing it as a proof of concept and they come to our so-called XYZ platform. I think the way of working is quite similar in a sense where we really listen to our customers and the brands about what, what they want to get out of this. It could be um, upfront revenue. It could be loyalty. It could be just, you know, learning for their own team to get into Web3 early as well. Um, and we customize every solution with them. Um, on the tech side, um, usually for the white label um, platforms that we do, we customize everything end-to-end for them. On the platform, they work with the toolkits that we offer, like the feed function, the chat feature, the so private DM where people can um, bid for a 24-hour chat window. They work with their parameters, but we also think about the utility on a very one-to-one basis with them. You're the head of business development at Soko. So what do you see on the field concretely? Because these are all, it's been a year and a half or two years now, this kind of like, there was a big NFT wave 2021. You have all the promises. There is also all the promises of crypto, blockchain, which I'm a huge believer of. But if you look at the actual use cases today, of even crypto, there's not much. Uh, there's not much, except people buying coins for speculation or people buying NFTs for speculation. So, what do you see on the field with influencers and brands in terms of how much they understand all this stuff and how much they're actually willing to try or even very convinced to implement it and already doing it? I think I see two key trends in the last maybe one year. The first one is 
as you mentioned, there's a lot of gimmick in the market, right? When projects who are supposedly building are just doing a lot of marketing without having a real product. And um, thankfully, a lot of them have been weeded out. And it goes back to the same thing with individuals and brands, right? If you want to think about um, going into Web3, before diving in, I think they really have to think about their intention and their commitment to that. Um, they can't just do it for the sake of some marketing gimmick or some branding opportunity or some quick cash because it's not going to happen like that. Um, they come in because they really want to learn about the space or they want to build some you know, valuable product um, out of Web3 technology. The second thing that I saw is that um, besides speculative investment, a lot of the money is now going into consumption. So you're buying tokens or you are buying um, um, NFTs because you are benefiting something from it. Like your, like besides like speculative uh, returns, you're expecting some sort of utility or benefit that you can get out of it or you truly believe in a certain project that's going to return. Okay, okay. What, what, what needs to happen to have the mass of influencers and even mass of, masses of brand move to the Web3 three, web three world? I would say education is the one thing, but it takes like a big company or a big brand with a huge voice to do this education. I think a lot of people have been talking about education, uh, but it's not happening at scale. It's just a lot of small projects and a lot of, you know, small influencers trying to reach their corner of the world to educate people about Web3. But I think what we need is like maybe a big boy um, say uh, Web2 social media platform or big tech company to talk about Web3 and really make it very accessible for the masses to use Web3 technology. Perhaps Meta, Google, Microsoft could be the first few to do this. Um, I think it's not too clear yet. I think the second thing is um, all of us here, the builders, have really a huge integral role in prioritizing like ease of use to bridge like Web2 and Web3 audiences. It's quite difficult to think about like bring masses of influencers and KOLs who only think about fashion every day or beauty every day to use yeah. something as a deep tech as like uh, like a Web3 infrastructure or any developer tools. It's impossible. Uh, so I think it comes down to the people building all these projects and the products to put something that's easy. Um, and you know, all these black blockchain technology that is beneficial for all of us can always be embedded under very friendly web, similar to web two, uh, ease of use kind of um, UI UX. I think that's what we try to achieve here at SoCal, where we want to make it easy for even the web two user who doesn't know anything, like our parents who don't have a crypto wallet, to try and get into web three early. Yeah, easy to use and also, yeah, easy to and un- we actually need to to make people understand or to actually build tools that are really useful and that make life of these brands and influencers and people in general much better. Uh, or there needs to be kind of uh, events that are forcing people to move, like like we're having now potentially with Bitcoin and the banks that are all failing. And then you have the big boy Balaji who is coming and making this, some people think crazy bet, but maybe not. Yeah, and maybe it's just the moment where people are actually kind of forced to move from one system to the other although we might think that again is the is the infrastructure of crypto and web3 and blockchain today ready to onboard the masses in terms of banking probably not so yeah okay um 
let's talk about mental health, which is a big topic in social media because we know that um, that social media were basically invented with the goal of selling advertisement to people. So you need to get people hooked and they need to spend as much time as possible on this social media platform. So you have this basically brain, I mean, the, basically the brain was hacked in the mid-2000, uh, mid mid late 2000, uh, 2009, 2010. Basically with Facebook and Instagram, they really understood how to hack people's brains. So you spend the majority of, of your time there which has consequences for both people who consume, but also people who produce. So let's start with the negativity and the toxicity on social media. Some people actually say, some very uh, famous people say that one negative comment creates more damage than a hundred positive comments create good. So how do you deal with negative comments? Well, I think at the start of my social media journey, I was pretty insecure because of all these negative comments myself as well. A lot on body shaming, um, a lot about uh, what I was saying was um, invalid or wrong, or I was being very superficial. Um, and it caused a lot of self-doubt within myself as well, especially during my formative years, say 15 to 18 years old, when I'm still trying to figure out myself and develop my own self-identity as well. I think after that, I just realized that as long as I'm proud of my work, I'm proud of the things I write and post and produce, I can just tune out and just validate myself. If I'm happy with my own work, um, I don't need other people to validate me. Um, and that's where all these positive or negative comments deem down in terms of its significance on how I perceive myself as well. Um, but I must say it is quite a big problem, especially when social media is making it easier and easier for the young ones, like my cousins who are like 13, 14 years old, in their very formative um, years of their life um, coming on. And some of them have built quite a fair bit of following from doing all these TikTok dances. I can imagine it's very challenging for them to realize that they can be very secure and confident of themselves despite all these negativity. How do you think social media affected and still affects your mental health? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I face, um, more from an influencer's perspective, as well as a follower's perspective as well, is the idea of like just comparing myself with everything. Mm. Like how much money you're making, the car you drive, <laughs> the, tr the trips you go to, what you wear, what bag you wear. Uh, you're just really conscious about every single detail and you're just never good enough. No matter how hard you try, somebody else um, out there is posting something that you're envious about. Which, even as an influencer, posting nice stuff, going for media trips, I have media kits coming into my house almost every day. I still have this whole um, self-doubt moment where I'm like, okay, um, this person is richer, more successful, prettier than me. So, I think how I... Overcome that is um, re really deciding that I own everything myself, my body, my content, my asset, and I built this amount of things myself. I may not be where I want to, but I don't think I should use the people I follow on social media as the basis of my goals. And I should set my own set of goals, realize that maybe I haven't achieved that yet, but I shouldn't feel lousy just because I didn't achieve somebody else's goals or assets. 
um, I think I'm still on the journey of working towards that. So um, hopefully we all go through this together. What's really interesting is you were really in the middle of the game because you are invited to a lot of events and probably you go to like nice hotels or places or dinners where you don't have to pay or don't have to pay as much. So you understand the game that basically it's not a real game. So the cars and all this, it's not real. And like the people really have the money, don't show it off. And so yet, despite that, I mean, we all do the same. We all like, we all know it's not real, yet we all kind of fall into this trap of like, like someone else doing better. There is always going to be better people, but like the people who really do being better probably don't show it that much. And it's really, it's really interesting, which basically leads us to um, how much do you think your your vision of life has been distorted by social media? And can you even dissociate this social media stuff from like actual life? Because we spend so much time on in there. It's actually almost the same, but one is one is very. I mean, one is very fake. We know it, yet we don't. We know it, but we still don't truly, truly understand it. You know, so like how how this uh, this distorted uh, do you think that people's vision of life is, and even people who understand the game and who play the game. Exactly, I think it's perfectly okay to feel maybe a bit envious sometimes, um, you know, a bit depressed because my numbers aren't looking as good as last week's numbers. I'm still human. Um, I still get emotional sometimes, and all these numbers and superficial things does get to me. But I think the most important thing is that I have to be aware of it. I have to acknowledge that this is how I'm feeling. It's not real. It's not substantiated by something that is very significant. I let myself feel this way and feel a bit lousy about, say, a lousy engagement number or like, okay, this friend of mine going to, say, Switzerland for a nice holiday. <laughs> um, so, but I think at the end of the day, I just have to like kind of keep myself in check that, okay, this is just a bit of envy, um, a bit of like, you know, self-doubt, but like don't let it get to you seriously and, and, and on a deeper level. I think one thing that... Um, and an investor friend tells me um, he invests into consumer apps and um, tech companies is that he invests in consumers um, apps and social media projects um, if they tick one of the boxes of the uh, seven sins. You have your greed, your your gluttony, <laughs> your envy, all that lust, whichever, right? And Instagram, for example, is essentially two things, envy and lust. Right. And I think just acknowledging that, okay, this social media platform thrives on that and it's designed to make me feel envy or lust for something. And yeah, sometimes I do feel that, but I just have to go kind of like pull myself out of it and see from outside in view that, okay, this is how I'm feeling, let it go and just like let it pass. And it doesn't really affect me um, down to the core. I think it's only a, a real problem if it affects the way I think and my beliefs and my value system um, just because of all these influences from online. So talk about envy and lust, what would you tell to all your followers who envy you? You know, you might have a lot of, I mean, it's basically connected also to, you know, social, social media impact on self of security or insecurity. And we talked about how much is real, how much is not, yet we all still kind of fall for it. So what would you tell? to your followers who have this a deep sense of envy when they look at your life or your pictures? 
I can't imagine people feeling that way because I don't see myself as that way as well. I think it's pretty crazy that people would be envy about anything about me. Um, but I think if they do, I think I'll just use it for, for good, right? If they're envious about maybe some sort of successes in my work experience or my media experiences, then I hope that I can use this influence to empower more people. Uh, maybe even break down some of the mistakes that I made in some parts of my journey and help other people get to where I am at or even better than me in the future. I think um, a huge part of this is acknowledging that I do have to influence people on listening to my voice, especially some of my Judeas from school, uh, followers or the army boys who like my safety video that I did before. Um, and I understand that, okay, people are listening to me and it might change some of their considerations or decisions in life. And how do I use this to something good? I mean, maybe something as simple as posting an Insta story of me at the gym at 6.30 a.m. I absolutely hate feeling so sleepy, sleepy in the gym. Um, I don't want to make people think that I'm showing off that I'm in the gym so early in the morning. But if that helps one other person wake up earlier in the day, go to the gym before work and lead a healthier lifestyle, I think that is um, a good ROI from this influence or this envy um, that is created by social media already. You talked about having a good support system of friends in social media and in Web3. So how do you navigate this? How do you navigate uh, Web3 and social media space? And I would kind of even challenge you on asking, do you think that a good support system of friends should actually be other influencers or should be normal people that don't give a crap about social media or don't give a crap about crypto. So you really have these moments where you disconnect completely and you're just there like, fuck all this, you know, like, because sometimes you really, because it's so consuming, especially the crypto thing, because you have this madness on Twitter, plus like this madness on these prices that are swinging like crazy. And you're, it's all, it's all money, basically. I would think it's good to have a mix of Everything, you know, Web3 friends who I can talk to about like, you know, the poor market condition of how difficult times have been um, and we suffer together and we thrive together. It's good to have that uh, kind of friends. It's good to have some other social media influencers as well that we can exchange ideas, attend media events together and like help each other out in their content creation journey. Um, but more importantly, I think it's good to have friends who are like just tune out, out of everything. It's good to have a balance because without that, I think, you are just really stuck in one echo chamber where the whole day you're just talking about social media trends and other influences or you're just talking about crypto and you just don't look out of the box anymore and you're just really sucked into this rabbit hole and you don't see other perspectives anymore. Um, so it's good to have like a diverse mix of support system. I think I've been very blessed to have some friends who are early in Web3 that helped me into my journey, joining SoCo and joining Web3 space as a whole. Um, I also have quite supportive friends who didn't see me as competition when I first joined social media as an influencer um, and who helped me and like brought me along to a lot of things as well and even introduced me to new people. I think um, I wouldn't have made it anywhere far in any accomplishment without all these friends who helped me along the way. So I think having a really good support system is like really important, but make sure it's a diverse mix of different groups of friends. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Wow, I, I get advice all the time. I think one of the most important ones to me that I would love to give somebody else is also to just dream big and not hold on to any limiting beliefs. I think sometimes our self-doubts um, 
are the biggest uh, roadblock to anything we want to achieve? What's something that you believe in that most people would not agree with? I think this one is still pretty relatable to my friends in Web3, but for folks in the traditional communities and industries, I think this might be a bit more controversial, is that, um, that you're never too young to build an empire. Mm. I think when I was much younger, I always get rejected for a lot of jobs that I was competing of or I was confident of, uh, but I was maybe 16, 18, and no one thought I could accomplish anything. Uh, but I think the crypto folks pretty much proved the point um, wrong, right? That you're too young for something because you see a lot of successful entrepreneurs uh, and traders in this space uh, are really young, uh, even younger than both of us, right? Um, and I think if we always believe that we are never too young to build an empire, uh, we will eventually get somewhere. And I never would have imagined getting casted for commercials at 16 or speaking at the Central Miami at 23 if I held on to all these like um, traditional beliefs. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one actually in crypto. So you basically get your chance, no matter your age or background or anything, which is true for some people, they make it big, but there is also a lot of cups, which we saw last year. We're like, oh man, these people are like so young and like so successful. And now they're all, uh, they should be in jail, but we don't know if they're ever going to be. But yeah, absolutely. At least you get your chance. Uh, and no one is going to judge you on your background and sex or ex ethni ethnicity or, or age. Absolutely. Exactly. If there was a key uh, takeaway that people should remember from today, what would it be? I think the key takeaway from today would be that everyone, um, whoever's listening out there, has an influence one way or another within your inner circle, at work, at school, online, or even a sub-community that you're in. And you have to identify that, you have to use that for good, whether it's to educate, empower, inspire anyone out there. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Vanessa. Where can the audience find you and connect with you? Well, you can find me on Instagram at vanessa.h, it's V-A-N-E-S-Z-S dot H. I know, a bit complicated spell, but please do it. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. It's uh, V-H-M-Q underscore. And thank you so much for having me today, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening and watching. And please smash the like button and give us your feedback in the comments. Highlights will be posted on YouTube, Twitter, Substack, LinkedIn, and Instagram. I'll see you all in the next episode.